Linda Peng, welcome to the HexDevs podcast. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, we met at Indie Hackers in Vancouver a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. And I didn't really, I had to leave early, so I didn't really get a chance to talk to you both that much. But yeah, thanks for reaching out. Yeah, we were really excited to talk with you because we thought your album was really cool. And so Stephanie said, hey, you should, we should call uh, Linda and see if she wants to come to the show. So thanks for coming. So Linda has a lot of experience with front-end development. She's the creator of CodeBuddies.org, an international community of very nice people, sorry, very nice people helping each other get better at software development via organized study groups, live coding hangouts, and Slack discussions. She also has an album <laughs> called Violin.Play with awesome songs. Some of the songs include A Walk Through the Binary Tree Forest, What Is This, Call Back Hell, Super Class, so make sure to check it out. Uh, so Linda, where do you find the inspiration to compose these songs about coding? That's a good question. Um, well, the, the song titles were actually a joke in the beginning. Um, I knew I always wanted to uh, write original music. So um, I guess the background there is my mom is a professional violinist. And um, so I took lessons from her, uh, mostly in classical violin, since when I was uh, very young. And um, I've always wanted to compose music for film or for video games. And a few years ago, um, I started experimenting with a loop pedal, which lets you repeat uh, like layer phrases of melodies on top of each other. And I started um, kind of experimenting with some original music there. Uh, and the music album became a code-inspired music album, partly because of the looping. Um, it's very prevalent in the music, um, like a lot of the repetitive um, layers. And it's also a theme in programming. Um, so my husband is actually very good at puns and he had some ideas for what my song titles could be called, um, which is how we end up with an album with kind of a lot of programming jokes uh, for each song. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, the, the, the songs are really great. If I'm going to leave the this, yeah, I'm going to leave the link in the description notes. So you if you listen to this podcast and you I assume you know how to code or are learning. So you are going to relate to the songs. Like today, I was listening to it while I was trying to debug an error. And it was really fun. It's like, <laughs> it's really fun to listen to it. And so my, my question is, do you really, do you 
usually listen to music while you are coding? Because some people can't, right? So I'm curious to know how that how does that work for you? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Also, I so the answer is I don't. I can't um, because uh, when I hear music, I I think a lot of people say that they can't listen to music that has lyrics because the lyrics are distracting, um, and I agree with that. But also regular music, um, like instrumentals that. Uh, even don't have lyrics, they're also distracting to me because I hear the notes themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes if I do end up listening to music, I have to make sure it's music on loop or so that I can get into the zone. Otherwise, it's distracting for me. Um, but I'm really glad that you and other people who've uh, checked out the songs are enjoying it and are finding it useful and not distracting. Um, yeah. It would be interesting to listen to your album while writing code. It would be like... <laughs> a loop. A loop, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope um, there's one song in there called For Forever Four Loops, which uh, I ended up putting in one of my YouTube videos. Uh, and that song is kind of now stuck in my head because editing videos, you're just um, like listening or watching the same video clip over and over again. Uh, so you said you wanted to be, you wanted to compose music for video games. So what is your favorite video game music? Uh, um, do you both play video games? I play uh, just like one or two. Tiago plays it more. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't personally uh, have time to play a lot of video games. Um, one video game that I grew up playing was Age of Empires, and that had pretty good music. It's it's a very old game though. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love the the music in this in this video game, Age of Empires 2. Oh yeah, yeah, Age of Empires 2. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like I, I don't know. People have been telling me that the music in this album reminds them of video game music. So I'm hoping that one day I'll see it in the video game. I think that would be really cool. So I have a question about your your background, like how how did you start coding professionally? Because um, did you go like to a boot camp or something? Y were you working with music before you started working with coding? How how was your your journey? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think I would ever get a software job most when I was growing up because uh, my dad was a programmer um, and all I remember is that he had a lot of programming books uh, like O'Reilly books and SQL and, you know, Perl books at home and it seemed kind of boring <laughs> to me, honestly. Um, but uh, I studied... Um, 
I didn't study music in college. I studied uh, economics and public policy, which are social sciences. Um, and I was really interested in like uh, nonprofit work and social entrepreneurship and um, interested in like careers that could make an impact. Um, and so when I first graduated from college, I worked at a nonprofit uh, called moveon.org uh, for a couple of years. And they gave me the opportunity to switch into doing web development from, uh, I started out as a analytics uh, analyst. So I was like doing more data things and then I kind of switched into doing front-end development from there and this was in uh, 2013. Um, and I never went to a boot camp, but I um, I think at one point I considered it and then, but then that point passed and I realized there was a lot more, there was a lot I was learning from my coworkers and uh, I started a open source project called Code Buddies, uh, which I think you mentioned earlier, um, which uh, also helped me in terms of um, like learning from people around the world who knew more than me about software development. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't have, I, I think boot camps uh, are, uh, are a good decision for, if, um, for people who have, who want to dedicate themselves and have the time or the money. Um, but I think a lot of people I know also who don't have the degrees have also been able to have had a similar story where they've been able um, to get the opportunities from a job and transition into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really good. So talking about the Code Buddies project, and so you mentioned that it was, <coughs> sorry, it was this desire of you to work in a um, social project and everything. So tell us a little bit about the Code Buddies and who should join Code Buddies. Uh, I actually have a, I think by the time this podcast is published, um, there will be a blog post out uh, where I, I wrote about um, 10 lessons I learned from working on open source and working on like code buddies specifically. Um, but basically it started because, uh, sorry, I'm trying to figure out the best way to summarize the story. Um, it's okay. It's, well, part of the reason um, it exists is because uh, at moveon.org, my first job, I was working remotely and I, um, like in 2013, 2014, I saw the value in uh, remote meetups and um, the idea that you don't necessarily have to go to a meetup in person in order to find study partners or people who can help you become a better programmer. Um, and I was living in New York City at the time and going to a lot of in-person meetups and like hackathons and having a lot of fun, um, uh, like finding people who are also really interested in uh, learning to code and like improving their software development skills. Um, and I guess the short story is uh, I, that summer there was a, like a 
class, uh, a program I enrolled in called Orbital um, that helps people launch um, their ideas for a side project. And um, I launched CoBuddies just as like a landing page um, that uh, signed people up into like a Google group mailing list. Um, and it was for people who were interested in like uh, studying remotely with other people at any time of the day. So um, someone was sent out like an email saying, hey, does anyone want to uh, go through Eloquent JavaScript chapter one? Um, and then we'll meet at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern, which will be like another time completely in a different country, right? Um, and then they get like other people who were receiving emails and then suddenly you have like three different people in three different time zones all like discussing what they learned from that chapter or uh, pair programming on something, um, which I thought was a wonderful way to learn because when you're screen sharing, um, you can easily debug uh, like if someone is stuck in the middle of a tutorial or something. Um, but yeah, I, I personally really enjoy pair programming with people as a way to learn. Um, I think there's a lot of like kind of even little computer tricks that you can learn from just looking at someone's screen. Um, but that, that was kind of the nexus of uh, the, the spark of inspiration for what Cobras is. And then eventually we decided we needed to create a like a actual website for this, which is now Cobuddies.org, um, which a lot of people contributed to. Um, and there's a very active Slack community in it as well. Sorry, that was a very long answer to to like who Cobuddies, oh, I didn't answer who Cobuddies is for. And the answer is it's, uh, it's for like anybody in the world um, who want to improve their software development skills. Um, and how do you create a community that is friendly to beginners? Like, because this is, sometimes it's hard because like some of the more experienced developers, maybe they don't want to coach juniors or everything. So how do you attract people that want to share their knowledge, but also uh, make them like, but also keep them engaged and make them like be uh, friendly to the beginners, you know? Try to do from the beginning is to model good behavior. Um, so when someone is asking a question, uh, I'll, um, like I'll, I'll ask clarifying questions. Um, I'll, uh, answer beginner questions like patiently. Um, and I think, I mean, Kubernetes is a all volunteer community. So um, especially on Slack, there are people who they sign up and then they're, they, they're in too many Slacks, so they don't ever participate. And then other people who see that, um, see a Slack thread where someone has been very honest with their, um, with their help, um, so I, I think I think the the thing that's kept um, kind of the supportive, friendly feeling going is just 
people seeing other people being friendly and uh, perhaps calling out people who or calling out messages that are not as friendly and reporting that to the moderators, um, for example. Um, we also have a Slack bot that if someone asks, types in something, a question that's a little bit generic, it'll res respond with um, a message that uh, uh, tries to share, like help us to ask a more detailed question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, For, to me, like personally, I think that the idea of CodeBuddies being um, an international and remote community is super valuable because I, I, I was born and I lived like a lot of years in a very small city in Brazil and nothing happened there. So having this community for people from all across the world, definitely it was a really good call. So it's pretty nice that CodeBuddies is growing up. And do you know how many users are on CodeBuddies now? I think there are around 300 active users um, and over like, six or seven thousand people have signed up in the past nice and yeah. so it's a pretty small community so uh and and honestly my biggest worry is that is people who uh like sign up on the website and don't get what they want out of um out of it like their motivations for initially signing up, which is still, I think, something that um, myself and other people who really care about this project are trying to improve. Mm -hmm. um, and what about the future of Code Buddies? Do you want to grow the community? Do you want to like add more people? What, what are your plans for the future? So my main goals for this project are to make it sustainable. Um, like I'd like to be able to stop working on it and have it continue to live on. Um, I'm not entirely, I mean, so one dream of mine when I first started, it was, uh, was remote meetups happening like like three or four times a day, you know, like the idea of uh, multiple people being able to uh, learn together and meet together um, at any time of the day on any programming topic that they wanted to discuss um, more actively. And I don't think we've gotten to that point, um, but I don't have uh, like personal numbers or, you know, uh, data-driven goes around that because I'm like, I treat it as a, this is a project that I, that's mission-driven and I'm very um, like happy when it helps people, but it's not a full-time job sort of thing. Um, even though it has like a nonprofit mission, um, I'm glad when it helps people, but I'm not, treating it as like a by next year we will serve like 10,000 people or anything 
um, at the moment, like the immediate future is that, uh, uh, so, so the project is open source and then um, I'm kind of building, uh, I'm exploring like building, uh, rebuilding the website using uh, some new technologies. Um, right now it's using Meteor.js and we're exploring rebu rebuilding it using React on the front end and um, either Go serverless node or Django on the back end. Um, and I'm hoping that like um, rebuilding the website, uh, rethinking some UX parts of it will help uh, potentially like uh, help people, new people who join and help them get to get connected to um, what they want. Yeah, I think you're doing great and it's a really good project. So congrats on that. I really hope Code Buddies grows not only like in a big numbers, but in number of in a matter of how much it contributes to the community. Um, and I will definitely check it out. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for thanks for asking about it. Uh, so, Stefan and I, we're really interested in like mentoring people that want to start learning uh, coding and programming. And we're gonna do the Rails Girls by the end of the month. So October 26th. Yeah, October 26th, we're gonna have the first Rails Girls event in Vancouver. And it's, yeah, it's focused on people that just want to learn how to code. They never work with Rails or anything, or Ruby. They can learn a little bit, spend the day building stuff. So it's really cool. And also, so we wanna start doing coding dojos here in Vancouver. And I'm wondering if you have some tips for us uh, because we want to make it very friendly to beginners. Do you have any tips on that? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I've I've also volunteered um, in the past for like those types of workshops where uh, I've mentored or taught beginners. Um, and the thing that I, at least I personally watch out for, are people who struggle um, and are like stuck on one step because they're missing something <laughs> like very small um, and I mean I, I'm sure like the events that you'll be organizing and volunteering at are probably are like well organized already but I think one one thing that has helped that I've noticed is really helpful in general is um, having multiple TAs around uh, who can like just circle around and then watch out for people uh, who are raising their hands because they're stuck on something. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's the first thing that that, ha that popped up to me where I've noticed when if you have one instructor and like 20 people, it's very easy for the one person to get overwhelmed because because everyone learns at a different pace. Um, uh, I, I guess one one quick thought is the the really wonderful thing about um, participating or volunteering in those types of events is is I think the other volunteers that you attract um, just 
like for example through CoBuddies and also through other things I've volunteered for it's um, it's really great meeting people who are just super generous um, mm -hmm. with with their time and with um, with their feedback also so I, th I think it's okay so about, it's still about cold buddies so it's usually uh, correct me if I'm wrong but the way it works is for example I will say oh I'm gonna do um, a hangout about RSpec for example but so let's say that I want to learn do code but does code cold buddies also help with that yeah that's the idea <laughs> um, I mean that's the kind of the tricky part of the UX that we still want to figure out uh, because right now people who I, I think a lot of people who want to learn are aren't as comfortable scheduling those hangouts because then they have to take some sort of leadership role in uh, figuring it out of time and also uh people have different like expectations of oh if i'm scheduling hanging out does that mean i need to uh like lead everyone through something i don't know already um but the idea or that i've tried to convey for hangouts is that it's for people who just want to create us like a s space for studying a particular topic and you don't have to necessarily be an expert at it um, I think some people I've noticed, uh, like they ask on the CoBuddy Slack first if anyone else, else is interested in, like, for example, studying RSpec, and then they get some responses and they figure out a good time that works for the people who are interested, schedule it on the website, um, and then meet up at that scheduled time. Um, but yeah, in, in general, I think the getting the to the point from oh I think I want to learn something with other people how do I find them that step is something that I'm hoping that we can improve um, on the website I think I would definitely use code buddies <laughs> yeah it's a lot of it is organizing <laughs> people uh -huh. um, and like the CoBuddies hangouts are also competing with like in-person meetups and you know anything else uh, so yeah that mm -hmm. that is a thing I found out um, it, it isn't like an issue but but when I've scheduled hangouts even if just one person shows up and then it's really fun to just have a conversation with someone and like study together on some issue with sometimes even a total stranger and um, mm -hmm. as long as we stay on topic it's uh, it's yeah it, it's it's just it's just really fun do people record the 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 meetings like and then they upload on, on YouTube for example um, yeah people have done that in the past where they've recorded and it's usually up to the discretion of the person who scheduled the hangout so mm -hmm. they'll typically ask the rest of the group, hey, is it okay if I record? Um, but I think most of, like there have been over a thousand hangouts scheduled um, like in the 
history of the project, right? And most of them were not recorded because it's also meant as a like a private space where, you know, if you're a beginner and you're struggling, you don't want you struggling your pair programming struggling session to be recorded necessarily. Mm, yeah, that that's a good point. <laughs> right. So going back a little bit to your musical experience, um, do you apply any of the lessons from your musical background to your coding um, day to day? I I guess so. Um, I'm, I'd be curious what other musicians who also program say, because I'm, I'm guessing they might have different experiences than me. So for me, music, um, like I, I'm actually terrible at music theory, uh, but I'm a good uh, audio listener of, um, like I can identify um, in a song, like which notes are which. Uh, which mm. makes playing or like making covers of songs easy for me. So I find it to be more a more uh, like creative and artistic task compared to software engineering, which um, can be like, I think what I like about front end is that I can visually see what I'm making and know when something is off. Um, but I, I do think that programming is is more left brain because you're balancing a bunch of different variables and doing a lot of debugging and trying to problem solve. Whereas I've found music more to be like uh, either athletic because um, you're doing a lot of like muscle memory. Like I play violins, I'm doing so practicing involves muscle memory and playing the same notes over and over again and perfecting it and listening to it and then like perfecting it um so i think it is different um but i don't know maybe like like i grew up with music and maybe it did give me some sort of discipline i think that there are some similarities in there because when you say oh I need to play this note over and over or this part of the music. You have to memorize things. When you're programming, you kind of have to use some ideas over and over. And then you have to like organize your code in a nice way. And like w for people that use Vim or Emacs, they kind of memorize the commands to do like some code modifica modification. So it's, it's, it's similar, you know? And also when you write a composition, you have to think about how's the violin going to sound and how's the piano will sound, you know? So how, how do you have to like kind of mix them together and they have to work perfectly over a certain amount of time? So when you have like different programs running that they that interact, it's kind of l similar, I'd say. But I don't know much about music, but I know about coding and yeah, I think it's related. Yeah, I, I can see the analogies there. And what about the opposite? Do you apply some coding ideas to the way you create your music? 
like of course besides the inspiration for the your new album but i mean in the process of creating music well this album really is the first album i've made <laughs> so uh actually like when i looked at the song title i actually did try very hard to try to make the music represent what the programming concept was maybe i'll have a better answer if once I've composed more songs. Um, with, with composing music, it's um, maybe, I don't know if you can draw another analogy from, from this, but um, most of it was laying down a bass track and then piling stuff on top of it and kind of doing a lot of improv as well and trying to figure out what works. So it was a little bit like laying down like I don't know some models and uh, and not really having a design, but then kind of making it up as you went, as you're creating a website, which uh, I experienced when. Um, so there's a website for uh, violin that plays. Uh, the website URL is violinplayed.com, um, which I spent like a, a weekend uh, working on and. I had no idea what it was going to look like before I designed it. And then I like, I so I made the site using React and uh, Material UI and I hosted it on Netlify, um, which was really nice for, for hosting. Um, and yeah, so I think there's an analogy there in terms of um, kind of knowing what I was, what I needed to make and then it kind of came together as I put more elements onto the page. And do you have a YouTube channel too, right? Um, yeah, my YouTube is at youtube.com slash lpnotes. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the channel because we have some very famous uh, covers from like a very known... Do you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, nobody's asked me about that before in a podcast. Um, so those covers I made because I really, really love the songs and I used to have, um, I, I guess I haven't really made a cover recently, but, um, at like a certain point in my life when a song got stuck in my head, I would really, really want to make an, like a violin arrangement of it. Um, so the Metallica song and the Game of Thrones song, there's like a Pirates of the Caribbean song. Uh, they're all like arrangements of three to five violins um, that I first notated on like um, on using MuseScore, which is a soft, it's just a musical notation software uh, that's open source and free. Um, and then I would make the arrangement and then like play each part, record it, put the video together. Um, and then publish it. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm, uh, because they're all covers, I've never made any money from it. Uh, but I really enjoyed making them. Yeah, they're really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I personally enjoyed a lot because I don't know if you know the Apocalyptica. Yeah, they they started doing covers like from Metallica and some other uh, rock songs as well. So it kind of remind me of them a little bit. 
Oh, you're you're actually spot on because that Metallica cover is actually a cover of Apocalypticus cover <laughs> of Nothing Else Matters. I think they had four cellos, and but I only used three violins. That's the only difference. Mm -hmm. You have also a project on Kickstarter, right? Uh, why why did you decide to use crowdfunding for your project? I think I I talked a little bit about taking the launcher side project uh, course in 2014. Um, when I was in New York and the founder of that program, his name is Gary Chow. Uh, he actually, I think, uh, just recently published his own podcast. Um, but he's a very, uh, like, very smart person who um, was teaching a university class at the School of Visual Arts for a while with, um, with another uh, instructor and they had a course that was that challenged uh, graduate students in design to uh, make a thousand dollars in one month from a Kickstarter project um, so I've always thought that that was a pretty cool idea <laughs> and um, that's kind of kind of the reason why I launched it uh, launched this project on Kickstarter a few months ago because um, I was kind of also scared of the idea of asking for money online, um, so I wanted to get over that fear. And my goal, I, the goal I set wasn't a thousand dollars; it was a hundred dollars, <laughs> because I was pretty sure, like, I'd ask a couple of friends, and each of them would give like ten dollars, and it'll meet my goal. <laughs> um, so I was honestly blown away when, um, like, a lot of friends came out and supported the project but also a lot of strangers um, ended up backing the project including uh, there was one note I got from a stranger who uh, lives in New York City and uh, his personal message was that he decided to go into law instead of music like 50 years ago uh, and uh, that's why he's backing my project because he wants to support musicians uh, on, on Kickstarter. And um, <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, it was a really amazing note. Um, and he gave me, and he gave like way above uh, any of the tiers on that I had listed. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. I guess more recently there was um, someone who, uh, like I actually literally launched this album a few days ago. So uh, the morning after I like sent out the messages to my backers uh, on Patreon Kickstarter like around midnight as one does because I think a lot of side projects you just end up finishing at midnight. Um, and then the next morning I got a note from someone who um, told me that uh, my music really helped with uh, with uh, his struggles with anxiety. Um, and yeah, and it was from a, I think the fact that it was from a stranger, I really, um, I was, I really ap appreciated because um, it's so much easier for friends to just always be supportive, I think. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. 
I think that um, pushing out yourself out there is definitely something challenging. I feel that for us, we felt the same with the podcast, but that's the beauty of it, right? You have people that you don't know or you, you had no idea what what you could get from pushing yourself out there. But it, it's pretty good to see how how far things go and then you're, you feel a little better. And at the end, you're like, wow, it isn't something really complicated. Sometimes you just need a push or more self-confidence, right? But it's, I'm, I'm really happy that you did it because the album is really good and yeah, so it's it's nice to see that people are supporting your project and everything. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I was also just going to say that your podcast, I think, is a great example of um, putting things out there and I'm glad that you created it and we're having this conversation now. <laughs> That's true. Like if we didn't have the podcast, we I we Tiago and I wouldn't be here like asking you all of those questions and getting to know about Code Buddies and all of that. So what are you working on right now? Are you focusing primarily on Code Buddies? Are you doing other side projects besides your musical projects? Yeah, so uh, well, as of a couple of days ago, the music album is finally out. Um, so I'm happy to be done with that. Um, the Kobodies, it's uh, it's Hacktoberfest this month. So there's a lot of, um, actually a little bit of pressure <laughs> from, uh, I, I'm feeling from the community and contributors uh, who want to contribute to uh, figure out how to project plan um, like specific issues that people could help with for um, Hacktoberfest for we're calling it v3 the third version of the code buddies website um, yeah I think that's that's really much it in terms of uh, site projects for me what if I want to listen to your album? Actually, uh, I'm. I, I want to offer uh, like listeners of this podcast um, a secret code to the website for the album. So <laughs> violinplate.com uh, question mark code name equals hex devs and then the secret code is merge conflict. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, you can listen to it on like Spotify, uh, iTunes, Amazon Music, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Thanks. I hope people will will use it. We will definitely do so. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, there's some Easter eggs I put uh, on on there. If you enter the, I mean, it's it's not too much. It's just like mainly access to the songs if you don't have Spotify, but. Okay, so in terms of the future for your projects, um, I'm sure that you you mentioned some of them during the talk, but do you have something in mind 
that is bigger, that is going to take you more time and more effort for, I don't know, next year, next two or three years? That's a good question. I think kind of a personal goal that I still have on my back burner is just becoming a better software engineer. Luckily, I I feel like the job that my current full-time job is offering me like a lot of opportunities to grow. And um, I also recently uh, went from a remote job to uh, like a job that has a office as well. And um, but this new job has lots of pair programming opportunities, which um, I really love. And I feel like I'm um, already improving in my like coding abilities. Uh, or I mean, not abilities, but like experience. <laughs> um, and um, I hope to make uh, more YouTube videos as well. Um, I I like how video you can capture with video you can capture uh, what people look like as well as what the scenery looks like. Um, by the way, if you do end up like wanting to make videos and want like tips for uh, different software, let me know. I'm happy to share like what I went through in terms of oh, finding sure. software. That'd be nice. Um, yeah, hoping to just continue to be creative and have a good work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. That's that's really important too. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Linda, for coming. It was really great talking to you. We learned some new things, like. We didn't know we don't know much about music but seeing the stuff you're doing we're really like inspired to do more and do different things so it's really cool to see someone doing cool things so it's really inspiring <laughs> yeah well likewise <laughs> <laughs> okay so thank you so much linda it was a really inspiring talk to me and yeah i hope it will inspire people as well yeah, same here. Yeah, thank you, uh, Stephanie and Thiago. Thank you. If you want to get more updates from us, check out our website at hexdevs.com and sign up for the newsletter.